Hello, it's Andrew May and welcome to another edition of the Performance Intelligence Podcast. This is a best of the top five podcast for 2022. Wizard has looked at the data and we've gone from number five to number one. So the fifth most popular podcast for the previous year is a bite-sized edition, which was Values in Leadership with Podrago Sullivan. Pod is a study buddy or a former study buddy of mine. We studied the Masters in Coaching Psychology together at Sydney University. Pod started his life in Ireland as a young lad. He actually began studying in a monastery. It was fascinating finding out about his story. He realized this was not the right vocation for him at that time. He then went into business. He has started businesses. He's worked in businesses. He finds himself now in a coaching role. I think Pod is one of the world's leading coaches and that comes out very strongly in this interview. Three words I think of when I think of my former study buddy Pod. Those words are intelligence, elegance, and resonance. There's a real depth to what Pod does, and there's no surprise to me that he made our top five list. What pillars should people be looking at? So when I think about this, obviously you've got your leadership training and development and a vision of your business, but then we start talking about values and vision and behaviours. Can you talk to me about that? Because a lot of people get confused and I think they look at this and sort of rewind the three different business types we've spoken about, the smaller business, uh, then the business person that's wanting to grow and evolve the business. And then we've got, the okay, let's scale and get other partners in. Yeah. What's uniform throughout those? For businesses that are scaling, like for a small business, the word values is probably never even thought about or, or talked about. So, you know, five people or less, it's probably a, an interesting conversation once at the pub and that's it. Because values are, are so obvious because you can see it happening around each other. You've got a small number of people, you know, you can see our, our, our leader or the owner, you can see that they value this because every time they make a decision, it goes towards that particular thing. You can you know straight away what they value. If it's a retail, you, you know, it'll be you know it'll be either volume of sales, it'll be net profit, it'll be whatever. Like you'll see immediately because the business owner lives that every single day. The figure that people use when they're talking about you know, how much can I influence other people? It tends to be you know five to twenty people around me. It's very obvious. Twenty-five to fifty, it starts needing structure to talk to me because I can't talk to 50 people around me every single day. It caps out at 150. As in the most number of people I can influence on a regular basis, the most number of people whose names I can remember, you know, their, their family's names, their dog's names, it caps out at around 150. So somewhere between 50 and 150, we need to start putting in systems, structures, protocols, processes that allow us to not have to do all of the work of scaling as in, the system is now starting to scale us. So when we talk about scaling leadership, what we really mean is the way you lead five or 10 people, how do you do something similar across 50, 150, 500, 1,000? That's scaling leadership. In a small business, for this conversation, let's say small is you know, up to like 50 or 100, that kind of notion. Systems start with a small business is, you know, does everyone understand the opening hours, the, the manual protocols, whatever that business is? When you start getting to like 50 odd people, by nature now in teams, you've got three or four teams of people. It might be shift workers, if it's a consulting business, it might be the consultants and the accountants and the whatever it is, but there's a different small number of teams there. Therefore, the processes go towards teams, the interplay between teams. Do we have a common deadline that we need to deliver by, et cetera, the communications amongst the groups. So processes will start looking at do we have a you know, regular meeting structure? Do we have agendas? Do we have quarterly results? That kind of thing. Nothing onerous, 
but it's starting to give information to everybody so everyone knows what we're talking about. When you start hitting those numbers, decisions need to be consistent. And this is where values come in. So values are useful to help leaders understand and help everyone else to be aware of. We make decisions like this because we value this. So when it comes to making tough decisions or unclear decisions or decisions that have got three or four different solutions, we go back to what we value and that guides our decisions. So as an example, if we believe that getting revenue is the most important thing, and I have a sales guy on my team who was brilliant bringing in revenue, but they are crap to work with, but my value is revenue trumps all, guess what's going to happen to that salesperson? They're going to get rewarded every single time. And that's either a said value or a non-said value, but every single time I'm at risk of losing this guy, therefore I'm just going to lose in revenue versus he's upset, you know, Johnny in, in, the, in, the, in the other department. I don't care. That's a value in action. May not be the best value, but it's a value in action. Versus we actually heard, I was with some crew the other day who are in a digital marketing agency. They've got about 40 folks. For them, one of the core values is, are our staff engaged and happy to be here? It's a core value. They fire two of their clients in the previous six months because the clients were too hard to work with. They fired their clients, fired not staff, the clients. clients, yeah. I love that. That's a value in action. You know, we value our staff. We looked at the revenue from this client. We looked at how hard they were to work with. They were not fair. They were becoming aggressive. We fire them. So I think one of the biggest misnomers is that saying client is always right always focus on the customer rubbish if your customers are pain in the ass they're not right get rid of them i think the right clients are often right as in mm. we think about what we want to do where we want to specialize and and you know, the, you know, the work that we're best at whatever that your small business is and the kind of group of clients that fit that bill they're the right clients for you so hopefully you can work in such a way that they feel right most of the time because it feels good for you it doesn't mean that they have carte blanche that when they make, make mistakes, you just look it over. That's not the case. The idea of every client is right the whole time, I think that's a misnomer. Coming in hot at number four is the science of sauna and deliberate heat exposure and associated benefits with Dr. Tom Buckley. See what I did there, Wiz? Coming in hot, heat ah. exposure. <laughs> and Thomas is shaking his head. This was an example for me, Wiz, of lag time. I've been doing saunas for a number of years. We know that the Finnish or the Finns have been doing saunas for the last 40 years and there's studies on that to show the average male that has three or more saunas a week lives for eight to 10 years longer than the average person that doesn't. And while I've been doing saunas and upping my sauna game, I hadn't really gone deep on the research. And thankfully, Dr. Tom did a lot of heavy lifting on this. And we looked at the benefits. We looked at the studies. And we've got a protocol as well on how often you should do sauna, how long you should go for. And I've also added what I call my hormesis super stack, which I do at least once a week on the back of a 16-hour fast. I'll do weights and then have a sauna at the end of it. And it's a, it's a metabolic absolute rocket. This content or the content from this has not only been beneficial for the podcast, but I found teaching in other parts with executive programs, our executive performance program. I'm also using this content with athletes to give them protocols for recovery. So for me, the learnings from this was catching up with a lot of the research, seeing what works for me, what works for others. And now there's a clearer path to teach others, not only their benefits, but the protocol. And this podcast helped bring all that together. 
a bit of science, enough that people know the utility without them switching off and saying there's too many big words. So in the archive, I went back to thinking when I studied physiology and thermoregulation. And then Dr. Andrew Huberman in a podcast recently, I heard him talk about this as well, that we have two body temperatures. So we've got the shell and our core body temperature. And back from the ex-phys days, I remember the body and brain talk to each other. We say that in our programs, you're not a head on a stick and you're not just this cerebral being with a body that follows, but your body and brain are trying to balance the two temperatures. And when you understand that, that biology, well, that's where thermoregulation and and the use of heating can really kick in. So I'll throw to you uh, to find the approach appropriate level of science to, to help our listeners understand the mechanism of heat and, and what happens with the body. Yeah, so if you think about your combustion engine, your car engine, you, you've got a, quite a high core temperature there, heat, you know, you're generating heat into core and you're doing that by making energy and human bodies are the same, you know, we're, we're producing energy, we have a high core temperature, somewhere around 37 degrees Celsius. And, and that temperature is higher generally than our peripheral temperature. So if you measure the temperature out on the skin and your arm or on your leg, it shows it's usually about two degrees lower than what it is at the core. And in the intensive care unit, yeah, we, we, we do that in uh, not such nice ways in that we measure temperature in the rectum as a reflection of the core temperature. And then we put a probe on the finger or toe to measure peripheral temperature. And if you think about your combustion engine, you know, you also have to manage that temperature and you manage that temperature in the combustion engine by circulating fluids around the peripherals and they get cooled down by a fan. And then the fluid comes back around the engine and maintains that constant core temperature. When we talk about thermoregulation in the human body, the human body has a really well-refined mechanism for keeping our temperature quite stable. And we can do that by changing the peripheral temperature, either by constricting and moving blood away from the peripherals to the core when we need to heat up the core, or by dilating it and when we become flushed and hot and sweaty when we're actually trying to release temperature from the core. So that's probably not your guidance medical physiology textbook explanation, but I hope listeners appreciate that the human body has a lot of similarities in how we manage to control temperature. And when we look at sauna, you know, we have to talk about how we're heating from the outside in or the inside out. And if you can think about the, the combustion engine, we, we should think about the human body in the same way. Proud of you, Dr. Tom. When we met 18 or 19 years ago, there's no way you would have been able to dance between a heavy, detailed scientific journal and, and one that's got some science, but also has relevance for people who don't have a science background. Look at you go. You must have been practicing regular heat and cold therapy to increase your brain capacity. No, actually, I have my very first very first job after school before I started uni was as a, a training mechanic in the garage. So I, I always come back to the engine. And of course, you know, I love tinkering with my motorbikes. But I think sometimes we overcomplicate it with physiology. The human body, but the more and more and more you learn it, and the more and more you learn about the driving principles of how blood flows, how potassium sodium moves around and that, there's actually a logic to it. And how... I mean, how the body evolved to this stage to be able to do it just always blows me away, just the complexity of it. But there are logical principles to it. And when we think about when we're cold, um, you know, we start shivering, we start creating heat, creating energy, uh, you create creating movement to create heat. Um, and when we're too hot, um, we, we move that blood out to the peripherals and we try to cool it down with the ambient temperature. It's a logical, logical thing. And you find physiology actually is very, very logical 
uh, almost common sense when you break it down. And with a lot of the high-end clients that we work with, Tom, what we're really doing is we're playing with heat modalities. So we're, we're getting their body to experience cold at a drop in temperature and then get the corresponding shift in physiology to adapt. And then with heat, we're increasing it and again, getting the corresponding physiology to adapt. And so you're getting these highs, whereas a lot of people are in this static linearity. And that's one of the problems we talk about in modern society. So if we go back to all those ancient tribes we were talking about, they had this natural rhythm or this syncopation and nature controlled that. There was winter and then you'd have summer. So you'd have the seasonal change. So your body used to well, thermoregulate naturally, right? But now we set it on a static temperature, internal temperature control. And when you stay in hotel rooms, it's the same. So our bodies get lazy and, and, and almost forget how to regulate, right? So what we do with a lot of our high-end clients is we take them out of their big homes and their fancy shoes, literally, and we put them in oceans and we put them in heat therapy areas and, and different environments to walk on the grass to get back to basics, which a number of those tribes did thousands of years ago. But in some way, I think we've evolved so much, we've lost the plot and we've lost this ability to connect and, and have that intelligence or that, that physical intelligence that we need. I, I, I totally agree with everything you've just said there, but I think find it fascinating that there's a, a very big movement in with humans. And maybe I'm imagining this, but I think people are craving out, you know, what we call these hormetic challenges. You know, they're craving out uh, a little bit of stress, physical stress. People are, you know, whether it be exercise, whether it be heat therapy, I know you're really passionate about cold water therapy. And, and you know, we, we've seen that, haven't we? we? We did a workshop recently and the biggest cue of all the immersions that people could do was for the cold therapy. Um, so I think, I think we are quite aware that we do need to challenge our body, both, you know, psychologically, emotionally, but especially physically. To, to really get the most out of it. And I think heat therapy is is one now where there's this emerging body of literature uh, with very little downside, and you need to talk about the downside, with very little downside and a lot of upside. And we've got Dino Cladston from Bondi Rescue Fame, and Dino in his spare time hangs out with Wim Hof, who is seen as the godfather of cold water therapy and ice immersion. So Dino is doing a podcast soon. So we will very much talk or we'll go deep into cold water therapy. But yeah, that, that hormesis, it's that stress on the body and it's enough stress, right, that then we bounce back. Too much stress will break or kill you. But we've lost that in this cocoon, this comfortable society where everything's drop and drag, press a button, and we want comfort. But actually discomfort is good for us. Discomfort helps us grow. Discomfort helps us regenerate. Discomfort and the right amount of doses can help us with longevity. Yeah, yeah. And I, but we also have to be balanced with this. You know, if you speak to our parents or grandparents, they will tell you about hardship and discomfort, but they'll tell you there was nothing glorious about it. I think what we're talking about here is really the physiological challenges, you know, that we can control. But the human body has evolved through those physiological challenges or hormetic challenges in the scientific world. That is how we have adapted. That is how we have grown. That is how we adapt as we grow up out front as toddlers. But, you know, we, the human body doesn't thrive in wrapped up in a cocoon. It doesn't thrive without these hormetic challenges. Number three, or the third most popular podcast for 2022, was training mental skills and the opposite of being a stereotypical footballer with Sean Lane and Reid Marnie. 
I was hesitant about doing this. Remember, Wiz, I wasn't sure about getting the boys in the studio. And then Mark O'Neill, who is the football manager at Para, or Buckets, as he's affectionately known, said, mate, do it. I had just wrapped up my role. I'd been working with Parramatta for two years. We made the grand final. Unfortunately, we got beaten by Panthers. They were just too good on the day. Laney and Reedy were open to doing the podcast, but I said to Buckets, mate, should I really be talking about it? Because in sport... I didn't want to be seen to be amplifying what I'm doing. So I always try and tread very carefully on that. In other parts of the business, if I'm on ABC or if I'm doing a podcast, and I can amplify that. You need to amplify that when you're self-employed. But in sport, it's almost a no-no amplifying what you're doing. You, You let your results do the talking. Anyway, Buckets told me to get over it. He thought it would be a great opportunity to capture that there and then, and I'm so glad we did. I'm so proud of these two as men first and as footballers second. Laney talks openly about his father's ongoing battle with mental health and depression and how from a young age, when he first didn't understand what was happening, why his dad was in hospital. But then this has really inspired Laney to study more about the brain. It's, I believe, one of the reasons why he has taken his football to the next level because he's got a real good grasp on mental skills. He was always asking me, he was a great student and and we still do some work together, even though I'm not at Parramatta. And it just shows the depth that Laney gives to his whole approach to football. And and Reedy, it was interesting when we were even talking in this podcast, the two boys learnt a lot about each other. There was a moment where they stopped and looked at each other in the studio with and said, oh, I didn't know that about you. And it was a real catching up on each other as well. Reedy has now moved to the Bulldogs. And in the podcast, Reedy openly talks about how he went from being little Reedy, the perception to, to being a man and actually owning not just his craft or his position, but being seen in the team to not be a little boy anymore. And, and also with Reedy, he talks about driving back from a wedding on the South Coast and his purpose, which we'd been talking about and when you start talking about purpose it's messy it's rough it's gritty and bang it came to him he pulled over and started writing it on his phone some great lessons in this and as I said I'm really proud of these two and even though I'm not working with their teams I'm looking forward to continuing the friendship with both of them in the years to come. Reedy spotlight on you your breakout season was last year wasn't it? when you really went to a whole different level you played uh, you're in the train on squad Queensland State of Origin Everything was going great until around 13 against Newcastle Knights and then you did your shoulder. We'll, we'll, we'll sort of weave that in. But before that, what, did you, what have you done or what did you do to, to go to that next level? Well, it was uh, yourself there, Andrew, is um, when you first come to power and you're talking to everyone as a group and you know, there was an opportunity for individuals to talk to you. And I've always – there's been plenty of – you know, people come in and um, talk to us and you know, I've always been that person, well, got to give it a shot, you know what I mean? There's been times where I've said, no, nah, this is not working for me and um, you know, that time when I first sat down with you and I think that sort of, that changed me completely and the way I see footy, the way I prepare for footy and I was always just, I'll just turn up to footy with my footy bag, boots him and just go out and play. And it sounds weird, but I probably at that stage, I probably played maybe maybe 60 or 70 NRL games by then. And I sort of just turned up for footy and played and didn't understand it all. And we talked about consistency and um, it was respect to the coach about my consistency and three weeks I'd be good or one week I'd be good and the next week I'd be different and you know, I'd play a five out of 10 and then next week I'll play a 10 out of 10. Like I just didn't have any, any consistency in my game and 
I wanted to change that. I wanted to be better for myself. I wanted to be better for the team. And um, when we sat down and tried to you know, understand why these things are happening and they're consistently happening is when I started to really change my game. And I think this was before the season started. We might have were talking. Am I correct? Yeah, Would we did been, a couple. You, you were the first player. You were the first individual player that came to me. Yeah, so... Yeah. And, you know, you got me to write down some things. I can't remember what the first few things would have been. Uh Um, Um, I asked you to write down when – go back in recent times, a game where you starred. Yeah. And and what what did it feel like? What did you do? Yeah. And then go to a game where you struggled. And I think we found it was only a two-week period. Two weeks. One was against Newcastle. I think one was against the Raiders. The Raiders, yes, correct. And I said to you, did you change your size, your shape, your speed? And you looked at me like I'm an idiot, which (laughs) players do regularly, Laney. I went, nah. Did they change the size of the field? Nah. Was it more than less than 80 minutes? Nah. And I could just see the light went on. So what was it? It was in my head. Yeah. And I probably – then we started speaking about, you know, the thing, preparation before before a game. And I, you asked, what do I do? And I said, just get my ankle strapped and, you know, get warm up and go out. And there's obviously – we found more to that. Um, I started to find a bit more of a um, – what's the word? Uh, schedule of uh, when I get to the game from the first meeting to kickoff and what I did between that sort of thing where – you know, mine's a bit different to, to Laney's. I sort of, uh, we'd have the meeting and then I'd have a shower and then I'd make sure I have a massage time the same time every week. I think my jaw dropped when I asked you. Because I was new in rugby league. I'd worked in other sports. So I was excited, like, you know, wagging my tail a bit, like really excited, but trying to work out your sport and your game. And I said, what do you do for your pre-performance routine? So uh, stepping outside of footy, people listening to this, a pre-performance routine is a proven way to help you with performance moments. So whether you're a singer, an artist, a footballer, whether you're just turning up for a relationship, you know, a, a routine of sorts gets you ready physically, psychologically, emotionally. So in track and field, where I grew up doing, you just have a warm-up and it was a real plan to get your body and brain ready. So when I said to you, what do you do? He said, nothing. I think I looked a bit shocked, but then I went, oh, man, that's a huge opportunity. And the pre-performance routine with an athlete, there's something the night before, there's something the morning of or before the game, and then there's the closeout. And I said to you once, like, why don't you do this? And I, I won't, I'll only allow you to share because I don't want to break any confidentiality. But I said to you, will you journal? You, you rocked up the next week and you had five pages. Great <laughs> student, Rady. Yeah, I was very fresh to it. I had, as you know, a little experience to any mental skills on performance. And when I started to work with you and write down things that, you know, sometimes you just walk and you think about it. But when you actually write down something, you start to understand a bit more and why you do certain things. Um, so I think when I once we sort of got a pattern going, I probably started to play my best footy that I've ever played. It wasn't that I did less passes or more passes or I trained harder or anything like that. It was actually getting my mental state right. And as Landy touched on early on, no matter what's going on at home or what happened two hours before you went to the field, like I've had times where my mum and my, and all that are down and I tell them we're leaving at this time and they're still not ready and that really pisses me off. <laughs> yeah. Like little things like that, it might affect someone else, but I learned to just, once I walk through them gates, that's it. And then it sort of took on from that and probably for 13 rounds, I played my best footy I've ever played and yeah, and then, and then the shoulder. And just for people listening as well, thank you. I love hearing that it's made a difference, but you work your ass off as well. Like both of you, you're there early, you're there late. You don't leave any stone unturned. No, I think that's one way to put it is, you know, I'd be embarrassed if I did leave it 
you know what I mean? And I didn't try my hardest. And how could you sleep at night if you didn't try your hardest? That's how I sort of see it. And that's how I sort of play is with passion and just give it your all and stuff like that. Number two, the second most popular podcast voted by the amount of listens for 2022 was with Kieran Gribben, Mastering Your Craft and Touring the World as Lead Sing with NXS. Oh, Wiz, I still have goosebumps at the acoustic version Kieran did of Mystify. And he, he did that song for your wife, Nikki. I haven't really come back lately. Is she playing that regularly? Is it on loop? So, yeah, she's been telling everyone about it. Of course she has. He's got a beautiful voice. And he's also a really thoughtful and caring man. He is generous. He's giving. He thinks about other people. And there's some great lessons in this about getting ready for a big performance moment. And you might be going, oh, I'm never going to sing on a stage in front of 30,000 people in Buenos Aires, which he had to do in his second gig, stepping into the shoes of the great Michael Hutchins. And Kieran talked openly about how we would get himself into the right state, how we would have to let go of a lot of that insecurity and that imposter syndrome, and then how he actually owned that role and how this has helped him in other parts of his life with business as well. Humble, passionate, and, and articulate as well. Uh, I love this episode. It, it was personal. You can't say this. It's like when someone says, who's your favorite kid? Even if you have one, you can't say. But this was absolutely one of the favorite podcasts, just learning so much about mental skills, but what Kieran did for his music and what he continues to do. So this is a cracker. In coaching psychology, Kieran, there's a term we call lag time, which is it takes you or it takes people a while to catch up with how others see them. So there was obviously a lot of lag time going on within excess, which I'll get to. But before, uh, I read a quote when he was introducing you, rock star Andrew Farris talked about you being the new sensation, pardon the pun, and credited you for helping to reignite a new creative spark in the band. So here you are, this young guy from Northern Ireland, traveling the world, same with a buddy on the Northern Beaches. Suddenly, you're then working with In Excess. In in our era, arguably, you'd have to say the top two or three bands of that era, just gods, and then you're playing with them. So how did you feel when he said that to you, that you're bringing a creative spark and a new energy to a band that you'd looked up to and idolized oh look there's the initial this is wonderful and it's a dream to be hearing these words from someone that you love and it wasn't just the the, andrew they all all the band members i i took time you know and had the pleasure of writing many songs with john andrew's brother and many with kirk and and even gary and, and he's based in los angeles you know, I, as a musician, and I've been in bands all my life, uh, it's a very tough dynamic being in a band. You know, you've got your own ego. I got pretty good at sort of blending in because I'd been in bands from I was 15, 16. So, you know, you, you, you're there to do a job. And that job for me was to bring whatever I can musically and add to this group or whatever and it's it's the same that every musician does when you walk into any co-writing session sometimes you're meeting the guy for the same time but this was different this was a a band that had a, a legacy that was like unbelievable as part of the social fabric of australia so the pressure was there to uh, not only sing these songs on stage but to be brought into the fold the inner circle where these guys are trusting me to be in the room and be creative that's that was the dream that was the icing on the cake for for, for me within excess the sad thing you know 
with that, a lot of those songs didn't see the light of day. That, you know, for me, it wasn't with the fact with the songs. Where I'm still co-writing with Andre, I'm still co-writing with John, and I've got uh, these songs will probably see the light of day. They just not might not come out under the brand of In Excess. So you know, John and I have released music together under the name Jack, John and Kieran, J A C, and Andrew's new single "You Are My Rock" is a co-write with me. So there's as long as these songs get out to the world, that's all I care about, and they will. I've had to be patient because a lot of them were written ten years ago. For me, the NXS experience in general, those eighteen months were just magical. I, I got my wife and I with our newborn got ripped out of Northern Ireland, moved to Australia. And then three months later, I'm on stage in front of 10,000 people, 20,000 people, 30,000 people in South America. And you're just going, what? How does this happen? It was like, it literally has dream come true. Everything you've ever dreamt of as a child coming true, you're walking it out. Literally, you're there seeing it. And you dreamt this when you were a child. I quote a blog of yours. You say, it was my second gig within excess when we headlined a festival in Buenos Aires. There were 30,000 people at the gig. I'd never seen so many people. And as the band kicked into the opening bars of Suicide Blonde, it was a very special moment watching all those people go crazy. The adrenaline was rushing in my veins and I remember screaming with pure joy, feeling like I have arrived. It really was living a lifelong dream. Mm. I'll never forget the moment because everybody remembers that John Farris taking a drag of a joint at the start of the Wembley gig and flicking it. And then he, he, before he goes into Guns in the Sky, he has this peace sign where the hand goes up and he acknowledges the crowd. Then he drops into the drums. And I'm standing behind that guy in front of a sea of people watching him and the band kick in that drop into and he's laying into it. And I'm just going, I'm watching this ocean of people bounce up and down. And I'm, I could touch John's shoulder. I'm that close to him. I'm starting the, the song behind him. And these things that are only uh, my child screaming in the background. <laughs> that that these, brings you back to reality, doesn't it? This is just a total reality. This is a home cry. studio. Yeah. This literally is a home studio. <laughs> yeah, that, that, was, that moment... Um, was a very special one, but it was amazing how quickly I settled in. You know, those first couple of gigs, obviously nerves were, were amazing and overwhelming and there wasn't much sleep. And our first gig was in Peru in, the, in Arequipa. We were had oxygen masks at the side of the stage as if there wasn't enough going on that you, need, you needed to worry about how much oxygen you were getting in because of the high altitude. But yeah, it was it was just a time of, of for me of where I was just like, wow, this is this is like I've had this run where the Madonna song and then working on the U2 movie. And then all of a sudden I've just got the gig singing with NXS and I'm standing there with a newborn child living in Australia. It, it just happened so fast. It was a whirlwind. And coming at number one, the most listened to podcast on the performance intelligence platform for 2022 is the science of fasting with Paul Taylor. I have had so many questions about fasting. If I do a keynote or if I'm doing an executive performance program or even just out at dinner like I was last night with the Triple Bs, the Balmoral Beach Bods, a bunch of people that we have a fitness session every Monday morning at 6am. Whenever anyone asks me about fasting, I just flick them this podcast 
Paul goes through the benefits of fasting. It's highly effective. We talk about how to lose weight, lower insulin levels, growth hormone, aiding cellular repair, reduced inflammation, heart health. A big one on this as well is concentration and focus. This podcast also allowed me to look into the research and the science. I've upped my fasting game on this. It's important not to do it every day. I find a lot of people, especially corporates who are used to controlling, and if you do one, it's good, two is better, that they'll sometimes do seven days. We talk about the importance of metabolic flexibility. Now, this is a real masterclass from Paul in fasting, the benefits, in the protocols, and how to build this into your practice. So I'm not surprised that this was number one for 2022. Go and have a listen to the long-form format if this bite-sized piece really whets your appetite. So talk to me about the longer-term fast. And I, I've started playing with this. I first did it, uh, my family are up on the Gold Coast and we'll drive up because with four kids, you, you've got a lot of a lot of stuff, surfboards and a dog in yes. the car and everything. Actually, what happens, my partner tends to fly with the two young girls. Uh, Mich- smart, smart, and, smart. And Michaela will help. So it's just Archie and I and the dog. Right? And I'd started this inadvertently last year, mate, and I just was driving along. We generally go from Sydney to Coffs or Port Macquarie. And it was afternoon and I hadn't eaten at lunchtime. I thought, oh, just drive. I find longer term fast and the research has shown don't do a marathon while you're doing that, right? You naturally cut down your activity level. Anyway, I did my first day fast, got to Gold Coast the next day and I felt fine. So I've just started to throw in a day fast about every month. So my protocol is I'll fast at least three, maybe four days a week for that 14 to 16 hours. We'll talk about the the stack at the end. I want to get your thoughts on that. But then I'm throwing in a longer term fast, a day fast every month. So good to do that? Not good to do that? Yeah, look, look, I, I think that's good to do. And and that's that's kind of getting your training wheels on. I think there there, there would definitely be metabolic benefits from, from doing that, right? So we know that once you're in a, a state of nutritional c- c- um, ketosis, and and you're running off those ketone bodies. You're you're enhancing your ability to metabolically switch, which is really good. And doing activating lots of repair pathways in 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 the body. And this is the thing that a lot of people don't understand, right? When you're eating, when you're in a fed state, um, your digestive system is very very expensive to run metabolically, and and so your body suppresses a lot of repair mechanisms and, and other things. When you go into that fasted state, your body takes the opportunity of, of your digestive system being shut down to do other stuff, right? And so when we get into that longer term stuff, what we know is that and in rats and mice, it's about two days where they will go through system-wide autophagy. And this is basically a cellular spring clean where the body goes, okay, and there's there's nothing coming in nutritionally. I'm not using this digestive system, which is very energy dense. So I'm gonna switch on a whole host of bodily repair mechanisms. And it just goes in and scavenges the body and and really kills off what are known as senescent cells. So senescent cells, I like to position them as zombie cells. These are cells 
that are supposed to have committed suicide, and a lot of people don't realize that it's pretty graphic fasting, isn't it? It's like a, it sounds know, like a yeah. you need to come up with a game like a it's like a game of Thrones Nintendo thing, right? Wizards a game of Wizards. We could add, add some dragons to this. Absolutely, and 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 so this this these zombie cells are a bit like the White Walkers in Game of Thrones, right? So they are they are half alive, half dead. They haven't committed suicide. And if anybody doesn't believe me, you just need to 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 look up that cell program cell death. It's called apoptosis, right? So your cells have this program to commit suicide, but just before they commit suicide, they give birth to daughter cells. Now sometimes the suicide process goes wrong for whatever reason. They turn into senescent cells and they are more prone to cancer and, and other metabolic dysfunction. And these senescent cells will leak out inflammation as well, right? So so really not good. When we do this prolonged fast, your body does system-wide autophagy, where it's basically cleaning up your cellular junk. Now, an important thing for people to know, if you're in your 20s and your 30s, forget about this shit, right? Until you're in your 40s and your 50s, because um, our autophagy processes are pretty good when we're younger. And I always like to say to people, you know, people say to me, why does everything start to fall apart when you're in your 40s and your 50s? And and it's really, it was a, there was a molecular geneticist I used to work with called Margie Smith. And she said to me something I never forget. She said, Paul, we, we have um, a pact with our genes. And you sign that 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 agreement when you're born and basically your gene says I will look after you and I will keep you in tips top shape but we forget to read the small print and the small print says until you pass optimal childbearing age and then all bets are off this is what people need to understand your genes don't give a toss about you they are just about survival of the species so they will keep you in good health while you're in optimal childbearing age. And once you hit 40s, 50s, you know, females go through menopause, us blokes go through andropause, they stop curling. They Multiple people are listening to this, just skidding on their bikes, putting the foot down in the car, diving off the bus, going, ah, but look, it makes sense to be your best physiologically, reproductively, and then after that it goes downhill. Interesting, I was in Hamilton Island about a month ago for a conference. Isn't it great, just side note, live events being back on? Yes, I see yes, your social back doing live events yeah. and you're lighting up the stage so good. I, I think I did a series last week around the country and the organiser said politely, oh, Andrew, can you leave now? I just wanted to talk to people. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do more. I'll do another half-day workshop. Give me some people. I'll go to a breakout room anywhere. Anyway, back to the story. I'm in Hamilton Island for a two-day conference. Had to be there for four days to you know, acclimatise either sure. side, Paul. Yeah, you get, get that. I get right. it. And there's this guy, I'm in the sauna, and he's there with his girlfriend. They were sailing around. He was in his early 30s, jacked. Seriously, like he did cross his legs and his his arms and shoulders would ripple, like just a, like a physiological specimen. Uh, we just started chatting. I'm there pulling every lever. You know, I'd fast and I'd done weights and I'm having, I, I call it my hormesis super stack and I'll throw yes. a bit of cold in as well. We'll dig into that at the end today, 0.5. And he said, yeah, I fast three or four days a week. And I just looked at him, I said, how, how young are you? He said, I'm 32. I said, mate, I'd stop it now. 
and his his partner said, "I told you so. I told you. Yeah. Listen to him." And he said, yeah. "Why?" I said, "Look at you." I said, "You just look at a, a dumbbell and you get jacked. Save this shit until you're my age. Keep it in your locker. Yeah, Keep that's what it I said in to him. Your locker. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and he said, "What should I do?" I said, "Get out. Have more fun. Eat more pizza. Yeah. You know, if you got <laughs> genetics like that, seriously, save it because you're not going to have any arsenal in your 40s and 50s." So yeah, it's uh, just no, really interesting it's, hearing you it's say a, that. It, it's a really good point, right? And and so and particularly the longer term fasting, right? You want to keep that in your locker until you're in your forties and fifties because your body does autophagy very well when you're younger, right? And it, it's it's us old blokes that need um, this this autophagy. Thank you for listening. If you are here right now, you've just listened to five bite-sized editions of the top five for 2022. Over the summer break, I'm having a, a break. Wizard's having a break from recording new content. But every Thursday and every Saturday morning, we're going to be playing for you bite size or we take previous best bits and put that into a smaller snack size format for you. I've loved the previous 12 months we've learned a lot we've changed or we've launched the podcast we've changed the name from the strive stronger podcast to the performance intelligence podcast whiz our numbers are going up in a hockey stick like format which is great that keeps us excited but we don't do it for the numbers primarily we do this because i love podcasting love the format get to talk to great people get to learn and grow We've worked out a lot about broadcasting, Wiz, about packaging, putting it all together, and it's a bonus. It's a really nice bonus when people listen. Keep listening. We're coming back next year. In February, we'll start our new podcast again. We've got an all-star cast from business, CEOs of top 20 ASX companies, athletes, Australian representatives, more musicians, and domain experts in a whole bunch of areas from the eclectic to the mainstream. Have a great Christmas break, and, and thank you so much for all the support. And Wizard, thank you, mate. I've really enjoyed doing this with you as well. Hi again, it's Andrew, and I hope you really enjoyed that episode. We would appreciate if you helped to amplify the Performance Intelligence Podcast by sharing episodes with your friends and with your colleagues by going to iTunes and leaving a rating and review. This really does help get the message out to a wider audience and I love reading the comments as well. If you'd like to know more about booking me as a speaker at your next annual conference or company offsite or purchasing one of the books I've written, including MatchFit, or if you'd just like to receive my monthly e-newsletter, which is called the AM Edition, that has stacks of information specific to all things human performance, go to andrewmay.com and we'll see you on the next edition of Performance Intelligence.